1: Well, welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, we've got Chris and Nate not in Garage Mahal today. We are in my living room.
2: I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. Uh, you don't live like Davey lives.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as nice.
2: It's yeah. not as spacious. It's, it's homey. I like your home, but it's no Garage Mahal. That's all I'm saying.
1: So basically what you're saying is my living room, which I'm ve- I am very blessed to have. I feel great about it. It's still not as good as our recording studio out in Tempsford.
2: Not as cushy. i will say, <laughs> we'll say not as cushy. I love it. I love it. How yeah. you been doing? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit discombobulating, if I can use that word in a sentence, uh, which nobody ever does. Yeah, I uh, think to you be, can to be here, uh, recording here. But it's good. It's good to be recording. And uh, we actually had an interview, which is why we're here uh, with uh, with a pastor. Uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, uh, if you're listening, uh, we just. want to say this is the rebel podcast we are part of the rebel alliance media uh, with us in this in this uh uh media thing that we're doing
1: ministry Can ministry, say ministry?
2: um are the van brimmers who we absolutely adore uh and they uh, they help us put out the fathers of the faith for covenant kids podcast that drops on mondays um the awakening reformation podcast that drops on tuesdays uh you're listening to us hopefully on a wednesday but maybe you're catching up and listening to this later in the week and then Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, we have blog posts that drop on the website, rebelalliancemedia.com. And we have a video on engaging culture. And hopefully uh, you've been watching as well. We just dropped, uh, and they'll be dropping every Monday, some videos with Jared Wilson. Uh, we had an opportunity to have Jared Wilson up and do a conference with us. And so uh, we just some stuff, uh, specifically if you're in ministry. If you're a ministry leader or you're a pastor or you're an elder or anything like that and you're listening to this, I would encourage you to go onto Facebook, find Rebel Alliance uh, podcast uh, on Facebook and uh, and watch those videos where Jared Wilson kind of talks to church leaders about the importance of uh, of uh, being a sound biblical church and kind of speaking against the pragmatism and the um, uh, uh, almost attractional like the, model of church.
1: Yeah, the consumer model almost yeah. of church. I, it's such meaty and great stuff. It is. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so we, we like I said, we had a great uh, interview. We're not in Garage Mahal, so uh, we don't have our comfy seats. So we're going to jump right into Rebel News and uh, and one of the things that uh, we wanted to talk about, which really ties into the episode, uh, is actually just a, a sad uh, story. Uh, there's a pastor, a pastor named uh, Andrew Stocklin of Inland Hills Church, which is in Chino, California. Um, just uh, last weekend, from when we're recording this, uh, he actually committed suicide. Um, and so uh, it, the article that I saw that was kind of going around Facebook that was shared by a lot of different pastors kind of just talked about how, um, so this pastor, I mean, if you look, if you look him up, uh, Pastor Andrew uh, Stockland of uh, Inland Hills Church, I kind of, I don't know much about him. I, I hadn't heard his name before I saw this article getting circulated, uh, but you go on to the church and I don't know a whole lot about the church, but from a peripheral uh, kind of looking, uh, it seems like, you know, they believe the right thing, seems like a pretty solid church, seemed like a big church, uh, he's got multiple staff members, he's got a beautiful family with young kids. And, uh, and so you look at this and from, from kind of the world's perspective, there's no reason, right? There's no reason for this guy to, to take his own life. And uh, and the article kind of went on to talk about how uh, some of the difficult things that pastors face that uh, we're not aware of or that somehow a lot of pastors uh, isolate themselves and maybe don't, uh, don't talk about the things that are plaguing them and bothering them because they have to maintain an appearance of holiness. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting. It ties into what we're talking about today, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, my, my first initial thought, obviously, it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, anybody who takes their life, it's a tragedy, right? Um, but it's, it's particularly a tragedy here in this situation because you get the sense. Now, obviously, I don't know the details or anything like that, so I'm, I'm speculating. But you get the sense that uh, as, a, as a young pastor who felt that this was his only option at this point, that there... That he must have been very lonely, and I and so what, when I read the article and when i been when I heard about this, my first natural thought was, we need we need to be praying for our pastors. I know that's awkward because you're yeah. my pastor, but I mean like yes, you should. We we need to be praying for, praying for our pastors. We need to remember that they are still fallen humans that that can struggle with things that can struggle with things like depression. They can struggle with things like loneliness, and a lot of times because of the fact that. They are a spiritual authority. It's hard for those guys to necessarily be as vulnerable yeah. with everybody as the, as like say, I could be or like you know what just a normal lay person can be. Right. so it, it's it's a one of those things we need to be we need to be praying for our, our ministry leaders, our pastors, and we and we need to recognize that sometimes, they might just need a friend you know what right. i mean they don't always need you to be and i'm not, and i'm we all can be guilty of this i know i can be guilty of this but we don't always need them to be on with us you know what i mean sometimes it's okay just to be like hey let's just grab a pint or grab a coffee and you don't need to counsel me let's just talk about the jays or let's just right. talk about a book i've read or something like that and and just it's important for churches to give their pastor the, that opportunity just to be a regular <laughs> regular human is the word I was going to yeah, go no, but seriously, but, uh, and, and then at the same token uh, for congregation members to realize that sometimes their pastors might just need a little time, a little space maybe there's an elder that you can lean on for the next month or two, you know, what right. I mean? and I'm not trying to say it's, a, it's their congregation's fault or anything no, like no, that No, not at all, so.
2: but it's just uh, I think it's an interesting thing because uh, the topic of our, our episode today is how joyful people think. We have uh, author. Pastor Jamie Rasmussen who wrote the book coming on to talk to us about it and uh, and I think, you know, I don't want to speculate at all about what was going on in this pastor's life. We know that uh, that there was sort of a secret battle with depression going on um, and, uh, and that's a whole other can of worms that I don't want to open up but but basically, uh, you know, in the interview that we just did with Jamie which you'll listen to in just a moment he said something that I thought was really, really interesting he said, even in the midst of depression Christians can find joy. And he referenced 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1 where Paul is talking about um, just the great trials that he faced and, and, and then goes on in the very next sentence to talk about Christian joy and, and where our hope is found. So uh, this is an important subject. I think it's an important subject, and you'll hear this in the interview. We talk about just for those of us with Reformed theology trying to engage the culture, uh, this is super important. We did a, an episode several weeks ago on engaging the culture with joy, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So we think it's really important. And, uh, and I thought Jamie did a really good job of kind of talking about, uh, this book and it's certainly something that we'd recommend everybody. So, uh, we're going to jump into that interview, but I'll let you have the last, uh, last word before we jump into break.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say before you guys get to meet Jamie Rasmussen, he's actually a, a fantastic pastor from Scottsdale Bible Chapel in Arizona, um, who's actually a family a family friend. We kind of mentioned that again, but just uh, wanted to, again, just point out that he's somebody that uh, has had a great impact on our families and the, and the people that uh, we, we've committed our lives to. Um, so we just want to thank him before we even get started for that. And uh, really just encourage you guys to pick up the the book. It's called How Joyful People Think. It's available wherever books are sold and at Baker Publishing House's website as well. Um, we'll link all the details for the book right in there, right in the show notes. Um, so, but check it out. It's called How People Joyful People Think.
2: Perfect. All right. So we're gonna jump in a break, and uh, as soon as you get back, uh, you'll get a chance to hear from Jamie.
3: Hey, it's Dave, the Rebel Alliance Media Tech Guy here to tell you more about the new, improved, expanded Rebel Alliance Media. It's new, it's improved, and yes, it's expanded. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com. There's the original Rebel podcast as always, but now there's the Awakening Reformation podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, plus their new Faith of the Fathers podcast with their children. Great listening for families. Catch the Rebels each Friday for their weekly video on culture and get a refreshing review of Eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series. Another new addition is the Blogs and Articles page with some excellent reads by the Van Brimmers along with Ben and Andrew Emery. You can now help Rebel Alliance Media financially through the Donate button at the top of the homepage. It's a brand new website, so make it your home base for interacting with the rebels. Don't forget to share it with your friends. That's rebelalliancemedia.com.
2: Uh, We would like to welcome on uh, Pastor Jamie Rasmussen. Uh, Jamie Rasmussen is, uh, he has an MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, He's a senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church, and uh, he's been regularly listed on Outreach Magazine's Top 100 list in both size and speed of growth uh, for his church, uh, which is there in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, Thanks for joining us, Jamie.
0: It's great to be here, Nathaniel.
2: And uh, I should say for our listeners that Jamie's not just the author of a book that we liked and wanted to talk about, but uh, there's actually a bit of a family connection here because Chris and I both married women who jamie pastored <laughs> so yeah. uh we were were uh, in-
0: correctly mind you so <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: well and that's what i was gonna say we're reaping the bene- benefits of uh of your your pastoral wisdom here so uh
1: thank you
0: <laughs> yeah, you married into a great family so i'm big fans yeah well, we appreciate that
1: we I- we married up for sure. <laughs> well, we, de- we definitely married up. There's yeah. no doubt about that. I don't know if Jamie remembers, but the first time, first interaction I ever had with you was actually on stage at Wortley um, okay. as I was uh, becoming a member. And you pointed out to the entire congregation that I was dating the head elder's daughter. So thanks for
0: that, Jamie. <laughs> that, that, that would be something I would do. Yes. <laughs>
2: So so what you're saying is all the eyes were suddenly on you and you're being held accountable. If that, you ever, that, if that
1: you that you ever did like accountability, just bam, there you go. <laughs>
2: Right on. Um, okay, so Jamie, you, uh, you wrote this book, um, and, uh, and we just established this is uh, the first book that you've written, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you're, you're young for, I, I think a lot of pastors uh, assume that they're going to write once they retire, uh, right. but you're still a full-time senior pastor, and you found time to write this book, uh, and it's called How Joyful People Think, and kind of the tagline is Eight Ways of Thinking That Lead to a Better Life. And, uh, and it's really um, kind of in the same way that John Owen wrote a big volume on, on one particular verse. You kind of take Philippians 4, 8, and you write a whole book on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And i tell you what, that, that was by design in the sense that, you know, I've been preaching for 20 plus years. I've been a pastor for 30. And about a few years ago, I got sick and tired of doing a drive-by of the scriptures, you know, you pick eight or nine verses, and you got to pack it all in in thirty to forty minutes. And I told the congregation, I- "I'm sick of that. We're going to park in front of one passage. And this passage, most people know, Philippians four eight. You yep. know, this says, finally, brothers. You know, whatever is true, uh, and then it goes on to list a bunch of other traits like honor and justice and purity and lovely. And then it says at the end of that, think about these things. And I, I told the congregation, we're gonna we're gonna spend nine weeks. Uh, one on each line of thought, each word, and it was amazing. I mean, it was so much fun, not just for me, but the congregation felt it was very, very worthwhile. It changed lives, and that was three and a half years ago. Birthed out of that, then, was the process of writing a book on one verse in the Bible.
2: Yeah. And I think what's, uh, you know, before we delve into the content, which I think is great, um, what I so appreciate about it is you have that sort of zoom in on one verse and you're just showing all your readers. And in that case, you know, showing your congregation that you're preaching to how rich God's word is. Like we can talk about this for nine weeks and not exhaust, you know, the, the depth and the beauty of God's word
0: here. Well it's really true if you believe at all that the Bible is inspired by God and not just a you know wonderful book of history poetry and intellectual thought but actually uh, breathed out by God then there has to be richness in it, correct? Obviously. And then when you realize that to rightly understand the Word of God, you need to understand it within its Hebrew or New Testament Greco-Roman history, you realize you've got a lot to plumb there when it comes to understanding the Bible. And I simply took the congregation, and in the book, we take people on a journey through the Greco-Roman history of these words, how they developed, what the line of thought might be from Plato all the way up through the first century church and even beyond. And and then once we establish that and what the word is really getting at, what kind of thinking is involved, we then jump into the 21st century and say, okay, what are we going to do with this ourselves today if we're going to find joy in our thinking?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So the verse that the Philippians 4, 8 keeps referring to all the time is the word whatever. So why don't you tell us, you you kind of break it down for us in the book, so you don't need to spoil the whole thing for our listeners, but why don't you tell us about that word and why it's important?
0: Well, the reason that word's important is that out of 36 words, I think, in the verse Philippians 4, 8, the word whatever appears six times. I I say it's like a scratch CD. If you ever had a CD in your car and it gets scratched (laughs) and stuck on the same phrase, over and over again. That's the way this verse reads. You know, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, uh, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, you're like, wow, what does that word mean? And so we do a deep dive on what the word whatever meant, again, back in Greco-Roman history and how the New Testament writers would have seen it, and then what it means today. And I won't do a spoiler alert, but I will say that that word doesn't mean what we think it means today. Uh, We use this word as a fatalistic sense, like, you know, well, you know, uh, whatever may be, may be, you know, it's kind of fate. We use the word sarcastically. Our kids do like whatever. That's not what this word means. It's a word of vision and extent and dreaming and possibilities in which Paul the Apostle is saying, you know, if you're going to get the most out of your thinking, you better start giving some concerted effort to all the possibilities behind these eight lines of thought, and in every scenario you're in in life, consider what truth and honor and commendability and justice look like, because you're probably missing out on some joy and peace that God has for you. That's right. What led you to
1: write the book specifically on this verse? I I know you said you preached through it, but like can you can you speak to just what led you to think this is the verse I'm going to write into it, like expanded book?
0: That's a, actually a great question, Chris. And I'm not sure that the listeners will understand this or not, because it's extremely personal to a pastor. But you guys will get this. Um, most of what I say from the pulpit is neither original <laughs> nor, um, quite frankly, anything new under the sun. I, I mean, and, and if. You know, I had a history professor once say to me that if you find yourself, you know, thinking something or saying something that nobody else has ever thought of, it's probably heretical because (laughs) there have been a ton of people who have thought of a lot of things over the years. But yep. once in a while, it's that old, you know, a blind squirrel every once in a while gets a nut. You know, it's, it, once in a while, I find myself saying something, hopefully inspired by God's spirit from the pulpit, in which the feedback or the response is like, hey, that was somewhat unique. And at least the take on it was unique. And that doesn't happen to be very often. But when I did walk our congregation through this one verse, there was a consensus that this was a take on it, a unique approach to it that was both revolutionary to their lives and, and changing. And I had people say, we might want to codify this in a book. And so that's what we did. And it was a long project. But I feel there's something to this that is unique, that Christians haven't wrestled with, that could lead to joy. And that's why we wrote the book.
2: I think that the uh, the title, I mean, uh, it is a very descriptive title. How joyful people think, but I think even the title is almost provocative in our culture, because when we think of joy, we think of a feeling, right? We think of an emotion, and so it's interesting to me um, what what I found so refreshing about the book is that you link joy and the joy that Paul wants us to experience to thinking. Yeah. So can you just kind of talk through just the uniqueness of that and, and maybe even how that landed on your people as you're preaching through it or some of the feedback that you've got from the book?
3: Sure.
0: Well, you know, the, the Bible affirms something that modern culture also has discovered, and that is that the... The, our thinking, generally speaking, will lead to right feeling and right behavior. It, it's not as simple as that, so I don't want to make it sound too formulaic, but generally speaking, most psychologists today would tell you that how you think will affect how you feel, and that will affect, once your thinking and feelings line, how you actually behave, what choices you make. The Bible affirms that. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind, out right. of Romans 12. Yep. And so... You know, it only makes sense then that Christians who lack joy, and I would argue there are many of them, and yet joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said he wants his joy in us. It's a very important trait that if we're lacking joy, we might want to go back to what kind of worldview, what kind of thinking we have on a daily perspective, because that's probably where it all starts. And that's what the argument is in the book and in the verse that we look at.
2: So if you want to give kind of a snapshot to our listeners and, uh, and I, we we recommend the book, we're going to link it on the show notes and all that kind of stuff. So we hope that you'll pick up this book because it's, it's, uh, it's well worth, uh, the read, but just kind of give us a snapshot. I mean, how in a culture that is pursuing happiness, maybe not joy, but happiness. Um, and they think pursuing joy in all the wrong things. How do we actually find joy?
0: Yeah. Well, we write a chapter. It's funny you mentioned happiness and uh, you know things of, of that nature. Because we actually do write an entire—I actually write an entire chapter on finding joy. And the word that Philippians four eight uses is, is "in lovely things." And that word "lovely" uh, literally means pleasurable things. But but they are pleasurable things as confined. Or guided by God's word, right? So, and I actually uh, in the chapter refer to what Piper, John Piper, talks about, and that's being a Christian hedonist. You know, as a Christian, you can be a lover of pleasure, you can be a lover of things that bring happiness, but and this isn't a bad thing. It's always confined and guided by God's word. Um, like a child on a playground if you have no fences they're all going to huddle in the center because they're insecure put a fence there and they'll wander all to the boundaries and God works the same way in our lives and so we talk about you asked the question how do you find joy well in addition to the eight lines of thought finding joy in the intersection of transcendent and personal truth finding joy in the honorable aspect of life which is being non-reactionary steady and state uh, finding joy in justice finding joy in lovely things, pure things. You know, we list all the things. In the chapter on purity, we talk about how there are three activities that you can find joy in as a Christian. You ready for this? Safe people, solid activities, and a sound view of God.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And believe it or not, that actually comes through tracing the the origin of that word philes, which means pleasure, throughout all the scriptures. It links our pleasure to safe, wonderful, mature people that become your closest friends and then solid activities, moral activities that don't lead you into sin. And then a sound view of God, a right view of God that helps you to experience him rightly. And again, if you can learn just from that chapter to those three things, you'll probably find a lot more joy in your life.
2: Yep. I, um, I, I think so personally one of the I think the most convicting chapter for me was when you kind of talk about uh, you said it there non-reactionary yeah. the difference between acting and reacting um, so uh, and as a pastor I mean there's, there's a lot of wisdom there that, uh, that I, I found really convicting so do you want to just talk a little bit about what you mean when you say that joyful people act they don't react
3: yeah we
0: actually Nathaniel around the staff here at our church are referring to our mindset as chapter three because that's chapter three in the book yep. and almost every pastor many christians resonate with that chapter because it's the phrase or line of thinking, whatever is honorable, or some translations call it whatever is noble. And I I point out in the chapter that it's actually, it's hard to translate that word from the Greek. The, The Greek word that the New Testament was written in is the Greek word semnos, or its cousin, semnotes. And it's only used seven times in all of the Greek New Testament, but we know from our understanding of the Greek language and how it's used in the New Testament, what it means. And it means a steady, stable, solid person who doesn't react to all the crud going on around them, but is steady in the midst of it. It's a non-reactionary person. So it says deacons are semnos and leaders are semnos. Good husbands and fathers are semnos. It uses that word to describe those kinds of people. And once you latch on to that, you realize that we have a choice. And we talk about in the chapter how to flesh out this choice as Christians to not be reactionary in our thinking and reactionary in our behaving. And here's the confounded thing about it. When you learn to do that, when you finally learn to grow up and live that way, you are actually gonna get more joy than just reacting to everything around you. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You actually link it to spiritual maturity. You say non-reactionary people, people who stay cool and calm and collected that's a sign of Christian growth of Christian maturity I thought that was profound when I read that in the in the book um, you actually said it I'll just read the quote for our listeners because I, I want to give them a teaser of what uh, some of the ju- jewels that are in this book the point for us is clear maturing Christians learn to think in a non reactionary way they live they learn to view the world around them with the same calm cool and collected composure that, de- that Jesus demonstrated and when I read that I had to go back and read it a few times because I know myself I can think of times where I don't react I, I react in the not like off the cuff or right away and I yeah. I just loved how the book was so vulnerable and then pointed out those things that the real Christian maturity is when we we take time to process things and react with the right mindset and I, lo- I love the way you you flesh that out for us
0: yeah and, and here's the real kicker of how we know this is true or the real barometer ask any Christian. You know, that when they're hurting, when they're troubled, when they're freaking out, who is it that they go to? And they'll give you a name because everybody has somebody and then ask them to describe that person and why they go to them. And they'll describe chapter three. They mm. will describe that semnotase, taste, <laughs> non reactionary, steady person. And we all have heroes in our life like that. It's just that maybe we can be more like that, too, and find joy. Right.
2: Um, one of the other kind of convicting uh, uh, parts of the book is when you talk about um, how how much time we all dedicate to thinking about our own personal reputation and um, and how that can create stress. And the more stressed out we are, the less joyful we are. And so it kind of talks about that. So um, can you just talk a little bit about, our thinking on reputation, uh, and how that's, uh, helpful in, in ways. Cause you talk about that or, and how it's uh, a hindrance in some ways.
0: Yeah. It's actually a fun chapter. It's, it's, it's one of the later lines of thought that Philippians 4, 8 talks about Nathaniel and it's, and it's, you know, whatever is commendable is how the ESV translates it. And again, it's the Greek word euphemos. Uh, which is a fascinating word because the Greek word you means good and famous means report or reputation. So you put it together and it's saying think along the lines of whatever would be a good report and the context seems to suggest of you. And when you think about it, a a reputation, a good report of you has two aspects to it. And you're you're onto something here about why we should think about it but not overthink about it. The two aspects to a reputation are our behavior – and others observation of our behavior right and one of those we can control and one of those we can't so i actually put a chart in the book that a quadrant that talks about you know the different results of if you put on one axis our behavior on the other axis others observations and you can have a good reputation a bad reputation a fair reputation and an unfair reputation and the point is is that we can control part of that and need to give thought to our reputation and live moral, upright, faith-filled, joyful lives. At the same time, we live in a fallen world in which it's not always fair in the way others observe us or even in our marriage or whatever it might be for, for your listeners. And you can't control that aspect of it. But God says that to the ability that you can, it will help give you joy, again, in the way that you think and the way you process the world around you.
2: Um, I, so one of the one, the tagline of the book actually um, uh, not confused me the, the tagline of the book so it says eight ways of thinking that lead to a better life and I think yeah. so you, you you hear that and there's certain self-help books that immediately come to mind when you hear kind of that phrase um, but you, what, you don't mean the better life the health, wealth, prosperous life that uh, we mean you kind of talk about what you mean by better life so w- what is the change in thinking that leads to joy, how does that make our life better?
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that, actually, because I might get in trouble for saying what I'm about to say, but (laughs) when you're dealing with a publisher, you... Um, you work with them on titles and things like that. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a, a joint effort between myself and Baker, and they really liked that subtitle. I had reservations about it, as you do, only because not I, that I don't agree with it. You'll hear that I do, but because it could be misunderstood. Right. And it's one of the reasons, Nathaniel, in my introduction, that I debunked very quickly that this is not self-help. That's right. This is not positive thinking. we I mean, you got enough of that stuff out there today. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, this is Westminster Confession type of stuff. You know that the chief end of man is to glorify God uh, and enjoy Him forever, or as Piper says, by enjoying Him forever. Right. And uh, and so what we're after here is God's glory and our joy in Him. And so the subtitle in that context says eight ways of thinking that will lead to a better life in him, a better Christian life, a more, a more uh, if you will, joyful Christian life in which we find, as the scriptures say, our sufficiency and our satisfaction in God. And so that's what we're getting after in that subtitle there.
2: And I think that's so important because uh, one of the reasons this podcast exists is to equip Christians to engage culture with a biblical worldview. And what I like about um, the book and and what you've kind of done here is uh, you've you've highlighted that if we can if we can wrap our minds around the teaching that Paul is is giving to us. Um, then it not only unlocks this kind of joyful peace in our own lives so that whatever is going on, whatever a, a, whatever circumstances a sovereign God sees fit to give us that will mold and shape us into the person he's, he's calling us to be. Um, so not only will it give us that kind of joy and that peace, but it then also becomes attractive to the world around us. And and the reality yeah. is, is that as we engage culture and, and especially for, I mean, our, our podcast, a lot of our listeners were kind of in that reformed evangelical camp and the reality is is that we have a reputation of being pretty grumpy calvinists who um you know are don't display joy who walk around with a chip on our shoulder you know um you know are the the discernment ministry sort of uh gifting and and the reality is is that i think joy is something that those of us who have been caught up in this uh reclamation of Reformed theology we need to recapture joy Because right now, what we're displaying is an animosity that's not attractive to the world.
0: Yeah, and here's the deal on that. Look, the vast majority, I mean, almost all Calvinists today, especially the young Calvinists, uh, believe strongly in the authority of the Bible. And so they place themselves under the authority of scriptures. Once you do that, you're in trouble when it comes to joy. because. Because joy is the second listed fruit of the Spirit, yep. and the fruit of the Spirit is what it looks like when God's Spirit lives in you. So it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. And then John 15, 11 is the most difficult verse to weasel out of because Jesus says, as the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate into this world, he says, my joy I give to you so that your joy may be full. Imagine yep. that. The eternal second person of the Trinity, who has lived in perpetual joy with the Father and the Spirit for all of eternity, has given his joy to us. And as you just said, Christians walk around and they're not known for being the most joyful people on planet Earth. There's a problem there (laughs) in that disconnect. And it's time that we have a repentance there that seeks joy once again, learns to think in such a way that produces joy so that our witness will be better. Amen. Amen. That was good.
1: That was good. So it's interesting when you're talking about joy, a lot of Christians get that confused with pleasure. And so you dedicated an entire chapter to pleasure and what the guidelines that God has given us for pleasure and how to seek that out. Can you break that down for us a little bit?
0: Yeah, I will. And, you know, one thing that doesn't include, Chris, in the book, and I it's just that we ran out of space and it wasn't within the the purview of what the book was about, is that the Bible does make a distinction, I believe, between happiness and pleasure and uh, that you might define as pleasure and joy. Yeah. Uh, the Greek word for joy is kara. And uh, it appears 59 times in the New Testament, and it means a longing and a desire built upon hope. It's a very rich emotion that flows out. Lewis called it the most the most satisfying desire that we can ever experience, that kind of joy. Uh, whereas the Greek word for pleasure or ha- happiness is hedone, where we get the English word hedonist from. And the scriptures, the New Testament, doesn't speak too highly of hedonists, right. And so there is a distinction. The Greeks made no distinction except for the Stoics did. The Greeks made no distinction between hedone and kara. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. They, like our world today, just lumped it together. Joy and happiness are the same thing. The Bible separates the two. So with that backdrop, what we talk about in the chapter on pleasure, which is that Greek word lovely, it's the Greek word, I'm sorry, it's the English word lovely, the Greek word prosphiles, is we say that within joy, within kara, we are to seek certain forms of pleasure without being hedonists. But it is pleasure that God delights in. Again, Piper is so brilliant here, John Piper. It's pleasure that involved the things of God. Hmm. And here's the real trick. And Piper's, all of his writings point to this. You need to train your soul over a lifetime to take pleasure in the things of God. Yeah. It doesn't come natural. Your flesh is going to want to try to find pleasure in, you know, reruns of NCIS or, you know, the next meal of Timmy (laughs) Hortons, whatever it might be for Canadians and Americans. That's where we want to find pleasure. Piper argues, you need to train your soul to find pleasure in the things of God. And that's what we're trying to do in this book, is to train our mind to find find pleasure and joy in the things that God wants us to. We
2: we appreciate using Tim Hortons in that analogy, but for any of our American listeners, you can just substitute Chick-fil-A just so you understand the analogy in Chick-fil-A or (laughs) Starbucks or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I
3: didn't use Chick-fil-A
2: for that reason. Appreciate that. Um, So uh, one kind of question I have about that is... Um, when you're talking about uh, pleasure and, and the joy that comes from living a, a, a holy life, right? We often think about—and you talk about this in the book when you talk about the pursuit of holiness— we think of holiness as something that's, um, you know, stoic and constraining and, um, it's, it, it's a, it's a kill joy, right? That's not how I find joy. And, uh, and I, I, remember, uh, Piper once saying that the Christian life is one that needs to be experienced in order to be enjoyed. And that's one of its paradoxes. And so talk to us a little bit about the joy that comes from a pursuit of holiness.
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of cryptic within uh, Philippians 4.8, but it's there. We translate the word pure. So, finally, brothers, whatever is pure, think about these things. Well, that Greek word pure is the Greek word hagenos, H-A-G-N-O-S, and it's a cognate of hagios, which is the primary word for holy. And so, uh, the word hagnos is a cognate of holiness, and it's really getting after. Finally, brothers, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, whatever is set apart— Uh, Think about those things. But what's really fascinating, Nathaniel, is that when you do a a study and look at all the uses of Hognos, and there aren't too many of them, it's used in a behavioral component, which is what most people think of when they think of holiness, our behavior, which is correct. But then it's used relationally Mm. as well. In other words, it, it uses the word in how we relate to other people and whether our relationality in the form of kindness and patience and love, all that stuff, is is also seen in our purity and holiness, and that's why I argue in the chapter contextually that relation, or holiness is also a relational thing, not just a behavioral thing. And this is where a lot of Christians get tripped up today. Because tell me if this isn't true, we got a ton of Christians that are nailing the behavioral part. I mean, they're definitely more holier than thou. They you know don't sin as much as the world, hopefully, and and they're they're doing okay there. They check off their list, and they tell us about they're it. Just, <laughs> and they tell us about it yeah it's just they're not very nice and they're not nice to be around and when it comes to first corinthians 13 love is patient love is kind does not envy it does not boast they're not nailing that one out very well right. and so could it be that if we just tie our holiness to our behavior we're going to miss out on exactly what joy is because as you have found with your dear wife colleen and your kids And your church joy comes from relationships, godly relationships, and that's exactly what Hebrews four, or I'm sorry, Philippians four, is getting at. That whatever is pure relationally, think about those things; they'll give you joy. Right. That's good. If
1: if we're retraining our mind to think this way, you you're very open in the book that this doesn't come natural to you that you're a half glass a glass half empty kind of guy um, and i would say i i sort of am too i lean to the negative i think of the the downtime, uh, downside of things how how did you just in your own personal life how did you foster this mindset to keep these things in in the front of your brain as you were going through your day to day life yeah
0: it's a great question chris look Don't ever forget this as as pastors and leaders. Behind every critical thinker is a cynic. (laughs) So so the reality is, is that if you're at all a critical thinker, you're going to struggle with cynicism. You're going to struggle with sarcasm. You're going to struggle with a negative approach because you're constantly analyzing things around you. And so the good trait in you also becomes your Achilles heel, if you will, or as the Bible would say, a part of your flesh. And so I'm that way. I'm temperamentally that way. I'm trained that way academically. And it serves me well in leading a church because I can critically think through the issues around me, as well as through prayer, obviously. But it creates a problem many times because joy doesn't flow from that stuff. And so you ask, how did this get on my radar? Well, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. And I dedicated the book this way. I happened to marry one of the most joyful people on planet (laughs) Earth. And my wife, uh, Kim, who I'm massively in love with after 30 years of marriage, is the most joyful person I've ever met. And she is more naturally that way. I mean, spiritually, she is too, but she is just naturally and spiritually a very, very joyful person. She wakes up joyful and she goes to bed joyful.
2: Before and coffee?
0: That's not <laughs> even before wow. coffee. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. So my, I'm, 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 uh, I'm held accountable, if you will, that way. But then there is a second thing. And this is more important for your listeners or watchers is that. I'm surrounded by Christians who remind me how unjoyful we are as a punch. <laughs> and, and I'm not being too hard on my church. I love my church. But we do have to have a joy revolution here, not a shallow one, yeah. a very deep one yeah. that's rich in our joy and ties it to the Lord. But I, I, I see too much lack of joy uh, in, our, in our Christian circles, and that grieves me. Yeah.
2: Um, so uh th- th- Thanks for all your time. We want to be respectful of your time. And so one of the things I just kind of want to um, dovetail this conversation with is one of the things that we're really passionate about here at Rebel Alliance is um, just the the optimism with which we see the promises of God being fulfilled in the world around us. And and oftentimes, as the Bible says, we need to walk by faith, not by sight. It's easy for us to look around and see how dark things are getting. Um, but I think the Bible promises a lot of wonderful things in the future for God's people on earth. And, uh, and so with that, in mind, um, I just want—I just want to ha- let you have the last word. So let me just kind of um, talk, uh, kind of think as I'm talking through this, and then I'll, I'll let you have the last word on it. In a in a world where you know uh, the diagnosis now is so often cancer, and um, you know as a pastor, I've I've buried, uh, I've helped parents bury their kids and um you know i don't think uh things are going to be getting any easier for christians in terms of persecution in terms of just how we're viewed by the culture um some of even the the laws coming down on us you're in a conservative state and i imagine you could tell us all kinds of stories um about uh about that as well and so amidst all of that I think one of the, the strong points of this book is it's equipping Christians to when the diagnosis is cancer, when a loved one passes away, when they lose the job. It, it's not it's not about changing circumstances. It's about finding joy in Christ in the midst of a really messy, uh, really broken world. And that. Joy that comes from somewhere so obviously not our circumstances um, is is light and salt in a world that desperately needs it.
0: Yeah, I'll say it this strongly, Nathaniel, and I've been saying this lately to people who push back on this joy, uh, you know, emphasis is that um, you can have joy as a Christian in the midst of your depression. Amen think about that our world would never say that if you went to a therapist and I'm a big fan of therapy but you went to a therapist and said you know I need help with my depression you'd never say well you're probably going to have your depression but I can show you how to find joy in the midst of it they'd never say yeah. that only a Christian can say that Amen. only Paul the Amen. apostle in 2nd Corinthians 1 can say that we are burdened so excessively that we despaired even life and then in the very next set of verses says but our hope is set on him and he will deliver us. And then goes on to write about joy. Yeah. Only a Christian can do that in the same chapter right. and have both be true. One of the reasons that's true, and this is chapter 10 of the book, and it's really just following the flow of Philippians 4.8, is that verse 9 of Philippians says this, and this is where we get the joy part of it, is it says that if you do these things, think this way, the God of peace will be with you. The most wooden translation of that passage is, The God who is peace will be with you. So the promise, though it entails peace, and I would argue joy because peace and joy are bedfellows, the promise really isn't peace and joy. The promise is the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? The God who is peace will be with you. So God says that even in the midst of all the crud we have to deal with, with American and Canadian culture, Western culture, and our own personal lives, if we can learn to draw close to him, in our thinking and in the way that we view him and the world around us we can have joy but it's precisely joy because it's his presence in our lives amidst the difficulty that gives us joy and that's what many christians are missing they really don't experience the presence of god brennan manning when he's alive nailed it he said most christians are like travel agents dreaming about places they have never been and talking about places they have never seen And he's right. We talk way beyond our experience as Christians. And I love the young, reformed and restless among you guys to start saying, why don't we allow our experience to catch up to what we're mouthing and find the joy and presence of God in our lives that can sustain us through these times.
2: I, I can't think of a better way for us to, uh, to finish off this conversation. That was, I think exactly what so many of us need to hear. Uh, so thank you. And, uh, and I just want to kind of give you the last word. So, uh, your book, which we'll link in the show notes, and we would, uh, highly recommend this to, uh, anybody who's listening. Um, but why don't you tell people how they can interact with you and your ministry? Maybe tell us, uh, where you are on social media, if you are, and, um, and where we can, um, interact with your, your sermons, any blogging that you do, that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's also a, a gentle it, nudge.
3: <laughs> yeah, you're dealing.
0: You've already looked. You're dealing with a 54 year old guy who can't keep up with his emails. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I have a church. That is uh, very into social media. So here's what I can tell you: one, you can buy the book. Best way to buy the book would be at Amazon.com, or, or you know, if your bookstore doesn't hold, have it, tell them to yep. get it. And, we'll uh, we'll link. We'll
2: link the Amazon uh, uh, buy page on uh, on the show notes. Yeah,
0: Perfect. that's great. And then you know, as far as social media goes, look, I part of my job as a, as a busy pastor is I, I have trouble having enough time for my other pastoral staff and, and the congregation. So I have to be careful here. But the church, scottsdalebible.com, my pastor Scottsdale Bible Church, scottsdalebible.com, has a vibrant website, has vibrant Facebook. There is a link on there if you want to email me. Uh, I certainly receive emails. I have help in answering them. so uh, But I read every email, Nathaniel, everyone that comes into the church uh, to me. And I take that very seriously. And though I have help returning it, I'm more than willing to interact with people on this. But our church has a very vibrant social media presence, scottsdalebible.com.
1: Okay, awesome. Wonderful. Jamie, we want to thank you again for all the, all the ministry you've done in our, in our personal lives, in our family's personal lives, yeah. but also just for this book, because we both enjoyed it. We've talked about it a couple different times. Um, we hope that it is an overwhelming success because I think there's a lot of things in here that will help this young and restless and reformed crew get uh, joy back in their lives. Um, so how can our listeners be praying for you specifically in your ministry going forward? Obviously, prayer is important. So we want to know how we can pray for you.
0: Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think whenever you think of your pastor, any pastor, uh, pray a couple of things for him or her. Pray first uh, for a deep, rich sense of God's presence, as we just talked about, in the midst of all of the activity. Pastors that lose a sense of God's presence, you know, Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Pastors that miss that will dry up very, very quickly. And then secondly, these are both Ps, presence. Pray for protection, because pastors, as we kind of hinted to earlier, are uh, are under a lot of pressure today, and they're under uh, a lot of attacks from Satan and even a runaway culture. And so pray for their protection and for their closeness with the Lord. Pray that for me, and in that, pray for fruit. The Great Commission goes on, goes on and on.
2: Well, thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks for pastoring our father-in-law, who uh, who raised our wives. Uh, thanks for the book. Thanks for your time. Um, and uh, for all of our listeners, uh, go buy this book uh, and pray for Jamie and his ministry. Pray that he uh, writes the second book in the contract he has for Baker Books because we're looking forward to it. And uh, don't forget to uh, follow us, RebelAllianceMedia.com. Subscribe, like the episode, and share it out on your feed. So thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jamie.